The Lifestylist, episode 49, featuring Gretchen Rubin. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. This little number right here goes out to the beautiful people, and that would be you, my friend. I'm Luke Story, and I am here to deliver another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast unto you, right to the dome, right to the eardrums, right to your head, right upside the head with some good, valuable content per usual. And today's guest is none other than esteemed author Gretchen Rubin. Now, Gretchen is a super cool person. I really relate to her a lot because she spent years studying human nature and what makes us tick. And that's one of my favorite subjects. I love self-discovery and I love discovering the nature of other people so that we can all work together more harmoniously and have a better life. I mean, it's pretty simple, isn't it? So what she likes to talk about in her area of expertise is really habits and how they relate to happiness. So we know that self-knowledge and self-inquiry is so important. Understanding others is so important. But what really makes us tick is the type of personality we are and how that dictates the habits that we have, whether they be positive or negative. My life has been full of a lot of very negative habits. And for the past 20 years or so, I've been reversing as many of those as humanly possible and adding as many positive ones as I can. So in this episode, you're going to learn a lot about yourself And that's going to help you relate to others in a more meaningful and powerful way in your life. So we talk about the following topics, the value of her personality tests. She has tons of quizzes and things like that on her site and also other tests like Myers-Briggs and Strength Finders, some of the ones that I've gone through and really gained a lot from. And you're also going to learn if you're an opener or a closer, are you a starter or a finisher and what that means and if you can change that or not. Are you an abstainer or a moderator? Spoiler alert, I am definitely, I am a abstainer. Moderation is not something I've ever understood. What are the four human tendencies and which one best describes you? You can be an upholder, questioner, obliger, or rebel. You're going to find out what best suits you in a moment. And are you motivated by outer expectations or inner expectations that you have upon yourself? Knowing that can really do a lot to determine your success in life. And then what about night people versus morning people? You know, you freak morning people. I just, I don't know how you do it. I don't get it. We're going to talk about not only the differences, but if you can actually change the type you are. And if not, which by the way, I think I'm just going to spoil this right now too. We think you probably can't really do a lot to change that, but how can you get along with people who aren't like you? Not just in terms of being a night or morning person, but just having all these different personality traits. And then we talk about the difference between habits and addiction. Is there really a difference? You're going to find out. Listen, I want to thank you so much for joining me on another journey here with another great guest. And if you're enjoying the content and you enjoy this interview, if it's your first time here, welcome. I love to make one simple request from you. I know I've run tons of promos and I'm always asking you guys to do this and to do that to help 
give back to the show and support the show. But here in this moment, I'm going to make a very specific and very simple request that would mean so much to me and do so much to help me and to help the show. That is, and I'm sure if you listen to podcasts, you hear this all the time and it just goes in one ear and out the other, but this is so important to me as a podcaster. If you could pretty, pretty, pretty please go into iTunes and leave a review and a rating for this show. Here's the inside scoop on podcasts, okay? In order to have a popular podcast and to be successful, you have to rank high in iTunes. It's all about your ranking in iTunes and how you get up in the ranking. Well, there's a number of different factors, but one of the main ones that gets your show higher in the ranks, which gets you more eyes, is by more ratings and reviews. So if you're a listener and you love this podcast and you love me and you want to do something positive for the world and for yourself and for this show and help keep this thing growing and improving all of the time, please give me some feedback or a review on iTunes. If you don't know how to do that, I've got an easy fix for you. All you have to do is go to this URL and it tells you exactly how to do it, okay? Ready? Go to lukestory.com forward slash how to iTunes review. So many people are confused by this and they're like, sure, Luke, I'd love to leave your review, but how the hell do you do that? It's so difficult to get into iTunes and make that happen. So go to this URL. I'm also going to put this in the show notes. I'll blast this out wherever I can because the reviews really help, like I said. So go to lukestory.com forward slash how to iTunes review and show a brother some love. All right. Enjoy this episode and thank you so much for joining me once again. One of my favorite ways to optimize my own personal performance and do things like running a podcast is to use technology to mimic the power of nature. And the human charger is one of the best ways to do that. The human charger is like having sun in your pocket. It's a small device that's got these earbuds you put in your ears and it shoots a very specific frequency of white light into your brain. When that light hits your brain, it tells your brain that you're getting noon sun. And when that happens, your brain starts to produce chemicals like serotonin, dopamine, and noradrenaline. Those are the things that give you a good mood, energy levels, mental alertness, etc. This device also works excellent for jet lag because essentially it tricks your brain into thinking you haven't changed time zones, which is really what happens for jet lag. And that's been a huge problem for me. So bright light therapy like this has been used since the 1980s and it's been mostly administered through the eyes. Well, now you can do it through your ears and it only takes 12 minutes a day. So it's a really cool piece of biohacking technology. I use it all the time. Otherwise, I wouldn't be talking about it. If you want to check it out, you can go back to episode 28, where I talk all about jet lag and this device specifically, or just go to humancharger.com forward slash Luke, and you can read all about it. Now, don't play yourself, though. Once you get over there, you want to use the code STORY20 to save 20% off your order. So go to humancharger.com forward slash Luke and use the code STORY20. A huge part of my health strategy is taking medicinal herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And one of my favorite ways to take them is by making herbal elixirs. That's really tasty, hot and cold drinks. It's much cooler to take them that way than taking a bunch of pills. Like, who can remember to do that? Well, I want to let you know about my friends from Four Sigmatic. These guys make the most potent, high quality and delicious herbal blends that are really easy to take. You can make a cold or hot herbal elixir drink. Like what I like to do is either add them to my bulletproof coffee 
Or if I don't want to have caffeine, I'll just make myself a four sigmatic herbal elixir with something like cordyceps, lion's mane, um, chaga mushrooms, reishi mushrooms, ashwagandha, all the good stuff, all the stuff that you can really feel working is available at Four Sigmatic. So what I'd like you to do is go to foursigmatic.com and check it out. They have an amazing suite of products. And like anything that I promote, this is stuff that I use every day myself. I love this stuff. I'm super addicted to it, which is why I want to tell you about it. So go to foursigmatic.com. But even better, when you're there, enter the code THELIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15% off your order, which is pretty sweet. So enter the Lifestylist and save 15% at foursigmatic.com. Gretchen Rubin is one of the most thought-provoking and influential writers on habits and happiness. Her New York Times bestseller, Better Than Before, is about how we change our habits. The Happiness Project and Happier at Home were both instant bestsellers, and The Happiness Project spent more than two years on the bestseller list, including at number one. Her books have sold more than 2 million copies in 30 languages. She also has a popular podcast, Happier with Gretchen Rubin, where she talks about test-driving ideas from contemporary science and ancient wisdom about building good habits and a happier life. Welcome to the show, Gretchen. Oh, I'm so happy to be talking to you. Yeah, me too. It's fun. I have so many questions to ask you because I feel like a kindred spirit with you. I'm also a studier of human nature and what makes us tick and also just of applying principles or truths to one's life in order to just improve your quality of life and uh, achieve what is your main area of interest, which seems to be happiness, which is what we're all really going for, right? Whether it's, you know, you're trying to become healthier, more productive, whatever. I mean, the ultimate goal is happiness. So mm-hmm. I'm pleased to have you here. So being a studier of, of, of human nature, why don't you just maybe give a little bit of uh, intro for our guests that are unfamiliar with your work, kind of, you know, about your books and what your whole uh, mission in life is and the content that you put out. Um, well, uh, to roll it back, I started my career as a lawyer, and I was actually clerking for Sandra Day O'Connor on the Supreme Court when I decided that I really wanted to be a writer. And in really all of my books, I think I've written eight books now, um, are all about some aspect of human nature. And the book that I'm most well-known for probably is a book called The Happiness Project, which was an account of the year I spent test driving the wisdom of the ages, the current scientific research, and the lessons from popular culture about how to be happier. I decided I would I would spend a year trying everything that I heard about to see if it would actually work. So I did that. Um, and then that was sort of an overview of happiness. And so I wanted to go deeper then into happiness. So I wrote a book called Happier at Home, which really focuses on home. It turns out that there aren't that many universals um, when it comes to human nature, not as many as you might think. And so, but the idea of home is practically universal. And, and for most of us, it's hard to be happy if we're not happy at home. So I looked at deeply into issues related to home. And then my most recent book is a book called Better Than Before. And it's about habits because what I found when I was talking to people about happiness was that a lot of times people's problem with happiness wasn't that they didn't know what would make them happier, but that they were having trouble following through with it. So they would think like, well, I'd be happier if I weren't exhausted all the time, or I'd be happier if I exercised regularly, or I'd be happier if I didn't spend so much time on my phone. So, and really these are problems related to habits. And so in Better Than Before, I identified the 21 strategies that we can use to make or break our habits. 
And as part of that, I, I stumbled across this personality framework, this kind of gigantic, deep, universal personality framework that divides all of humanity into four categories. And that's going to be my next book, which is called The Four Tendencies, which is about this personality framework that I developed to kind of explain patterns I saw in why people did or didn't do uh, certain things. Perfect. Wow. Very succinct. Thank you, for, <laughs> thank you for the answer. It's a summary of like a huge body of work when people go to your site, which of course, hopefully they will. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a lot of information. There's a couple of things I like about your work. You're really into lists and you're really into tests and quizzes. And yeah. I don't, I don't know if it's because I'm narcissistic or I just want to like, I'm always looking to evolve. Um, but I love taking the personality test. I don't know if you're familiar with like Myers-Briggs sure. or Strength Finders yep. or the DISC test. I've taken the like all those. Five Love Languages. Oh, I don't know. I don't... Five Newcastle assessor, Personality Assessor. Yes, I know. Okay. I love a personality quiz. Yes. There's there's a couple new ones in there. And I yeah. found, um, for the most part, I find that they're very accurate. And so I took your test mm. um, of the four tendencies, the mm. Upholder, Questioner, Obliger, or Rebel. Yeah. And I came out... I always would just think, oh, I'm a rebel. I never do what anyone says. And, you know, I've been kind of like a jerk in my younger years. <laughs> and like the, the rebel thing hasn't paid off. But based on um, on your test, I got questioner. Ah. And it's interesting because like when I was taking the test and for anyone listening, I give them the URL for people that want to do it, by the way. Yeah, if they want to, if you want to take the quiz, it's at happiercast.com slash quiz. Okay, perfect. So... What's interesting is, you know, like in Myers-Briggs, I'm total like creative, free spirit, visionary type person. I can't be nailed down. I'm, I'm super spontaneous. I can't stand schedules. I can't stand any kind of commitments. Um, and so I thought for sure I'd be a rebel, but I got questioner. Mm. And that seemed to fit. But when I was taking the test, there was a few questions I could have answered both ways. And I just sort of try to intuit it, mm -hmm. you know, and just answer from the gut and, and, uh, you know, come up with the best possible answer that just sort of like came quicker. Uh, but it, it, well, so, let, let me just so, ask you, if, if somebody asks you to do something, what's your reaction? Like if I said to you, Hey, would you unload the dishwasher? You know what? The, it probably is why. <laughs> oh, okay. And that's <laughs> question. a question yeah. is, why should I? And a rebel is you can't make me. Right, you're yeah, not the so boss I, of me. So, so really, that's. It, should I maybe for your listeners, I yeah. should like explain the categories. Let's elaborate. <clears throat> yeah. So, so this has to do, and as I said, there's a quiz on happiercast.com/quiz, but a lot of people can tell what they are just from a brief description. So, this has to do with how you respond to an expectation, and we all face two kinds of expectations: outer expectations, which is like a work deadline or a request from a spouse, would you unload the dishwasher? Or then we also have inner expectations, our own desire to get back into practicing guitar, our own desire to keep a New Year's resolution. So there are upholders, questioners, obligers, and rebels. Upholders readily meet outer and inner expectations. So they meet the work deadline, they keep the New Year's resolution without much fuss. They want to know what other people expect of them, but their expectations for themselves are just as important. Then there are questioners, which is what you think you might be. And questioners question all expectations. They'll do something if they think it makes sense. So they hate anything arbitrary or inefficient or irrational. Their question is like, well, why should I? Um, they tend to love information and research and justifications. And so if, if something meets their criteria, they'll do it. And if not, they'll reject it. So they make everything an inner expectation. Uh, 
Then there are obligers. Obligers readily meet outer expectations, but they struggle to meet inner expectations. And I understood obligers when a friend of mine said to me, I don't understand. Like, I want to exercise. And when I was in high school, I was on the track team, and I never missed track practice. So why can't I go running now? Well, when she had a team and a coach waiting for her, she had no trouble following through. But when it was only her own inner expectation, she struggled. And by the way, that is the biggest tendency. And then finally, they're rebels. And rebels resist all expectations, outer and inner alike. They want to do what they want to do, when they want to do it in their own way. And if you ask or tell them to do something, they're very likely to resist. Um, They don't even want to tell themselves what to do. So like typically, they wouldn't do something like make a New Year's resolution or sign up for a a yoga class at 10 a.m. on Saturday because they're like, I don't know what I'm going to want to do on Saturday. I would never. Why would I bind myself like that? Um, And that's the smallest tendency. So it's interesting because questioners and rebels both resist outer expectations. And so maybe you're in that you might be a questioner who's a lot like a rebel in that you really resist outer expectations. Some questioners are easier to convince than others. You might be a questioner who's almost to the rebel extreme. But the fundamental thing is like, if I ask you to do something, what's your reaction? And it sounds like you're asking, why should I? Well, you know, actually, no, it just has to make sense. It's like, for example... I my I've become nearsighted probably from doing too many Skype interviews and <laughs> doing yeah. too much up close work. So I finally caved and like accepted that I'm mortal and made of flesh and bones and went to a doctor and I went to like this behavioral eye doctor where they can kind of fix your eyes supposedly because it's not a disease it's just, you know, anyway. It's something that might be uh, treatable. So they gave me this whole protocol, and I'm supposed to go in once a week and do it. When I went in for the first training session, I'm like, cool, I'm totally open-minded. I'm willing to comply. I'll do whatever they say. I'll, I'll really put effort in. I'll be focused. I'll be present and attentive. I'm, I'm in. I want to get well. And then I started asking the doctor, well, mm. why? what does this mean? Like, why am I doing this? She's like, I don't know. I'm like, is it going to cure me? She's like, well... I mean, it helps people. I'm like, nope, I can't. And okay. I got all the, you know, I got all the paperwork. I came home and, and yesterday, and this will go into habits too. Yesterday, I set everything up. They gave me all these little, you know, weird eye patches and stuff I'm supposed to work with. And I set it up and I was like, nope, not doing it <laughs> because there's not, they didn't give me a good enough reason. Like the no. outcome isn't guaranteed enough for me to put in the effort. No, 100%. That sounds very questioner. In fact, back to the question of how do you form habits is whenever questioners have trouble following a habit, like they're not able to stick to an exercise regimen or they're not able to eat in in whatever, like in a certain way or take medication, always what you want to do is go to the justification because you are absolutely like the epitome of a questioner because a questioner is like, I'll do it if I see the justification, but I'm not going to do it if I don't have the justification. And a lot of times in the medical profession, they don't really take the time to explain to people, this is why you're taking this medication. This is why you're taking this dose. These are the side effects. These are why we think it's going to help. This is why you have to take it in the morning. This is why you have to take it with food. Why, 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 why? And when the questioner is satisfied, then they'll comply. But the motto of questioner is if you don't convince me why, then I won't comply. And you just, they weren't answering your questions to your satisfaction. And so then the questioner starts thinking, is this the most efficient use of my time? Do I trust your authority? Do I believe that you have the expertise to be telling me what to do? These are central. And so whenever you're with somebody who's not doing what you want them to do, if you can find out what their tendency is, it will tell you how to address their personality in a way that's going to get them to follow through. Because a lot of times when we're having trouble getting people to do what we want, which is basically like what is adulthood, but like trying to get other people to do what you want, um, we try to get them to do things according to our own tendency. 
Um, we don't understand that that might not work with somebody else. We need to give them whatever will satisfy their tendency. And so if I were your doctor, I would, when you're saying, tell me why, I would say, okay, here's a patient who really wants to understand the logic, the reasons, the research, the justification. And I need to give that information. Maybe I don't have time to give it to you by mouth. I mean, verbally, I'm going to give you a pamphlet or research or studies or something. But you can't just be like, oh, take my word for it. I'm the doctor. The question's like, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's totally unconvincing. I'm the doctor. Oh. I'm the teacher. I say so. I'm your boss. I mean, these are just not convincing. They're questioners. Yeah. So they're often seen as uncooperative or insubordinate or not team players because they're the ones that are like, well, why, are, why should we do it this way? You know? Yeah. Yeah. That totally makes sense. Have you found a difference or I guess a tendency between male and female humans that lean one way or the other? Because I feel like a lot of men that I know are more logical. And if I'm trying to get them to go along mm. with something and sign on, they tend to be more questioner. They're like, well, why are we doing this? It has to make sense logically. And even when I used to, I used to be a fashion stylist, when I would dress men, I couldn't convince them by saying, oh, your body looks great in that, or you look so hot or handsome. I had to say like, well, it works because your frame is this, and this creates this certain type of silhouette. And I would have to like give them a logical answer. But are, are you, you're nodding like, no, 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 no. For both men and women, obliger is the largest tendency, then questioner. And those are the biggest tendency by far. Almost everybody that you deal with is either an obliger or a questioner. Then the extreme tendencies are, are rebel and upholder. And those are very small tendencies. Rebel is very, very small. It's a conspicuous tendency, but it's a very few number of people who are rebels. But upholder, which is my tendency, is only slightly larger. Very few people are upholders. And believe me, the world became much clearer to me when I understood that most people are not like me. Because if you get a bunch of upholders together, what we're, we're always like, what is the problem with everybody else? Like, what's their deal? Like, get with it, people. Um, and uh, but most people are not upholders. They're not. They're not like us. So if you're trying to be persuasive of anybody, you're trying to understand them. Good bet that they're questioners or obligers. I think my business partner is an upholder. Mm. So there, there's something, I'm like picturing a lot of interactions and I go, oh mm. yeah, okay. And something right. else you talk about is inner expectations versus outer expectations. And yeah. when it comes to keeping commitments and, and building and habits and things like that, I find that uh, I, I'm much quicker to break a promise to myself or, you know, when it comes to like a habit or something like that or a commitment than I am to other people. In other words, mm -hmm. like if I promise you I'm going to do something, I'm absolutely loyally and in a dedicated way, I'm going to make that happen. I mean, I, I feel pretty good about my integrity with that. But yesterday, for example, like I said, I came home, I'm like, all right, uh, tomorrow morning, I'm going to wake up and do my eye test. Now, I didn't tell my doctor that I was going to do it. They're not going to you know, hold me accountable. So I decided I don't see a good reason to do this. So I'm not going to spend 20 minutes doing this. So what's the difference between the inner and outer expectations? Yeah, well, well, there's inner and outer expectations. But what you're pointing to is that you felt like you didn't have justification. So I would say it's not that you right. failed to meet the inner expectation. It's that the outer expectation, these are the exercises that the doctor is telling me to do, didn't meet your inner criteria. It wasn't like it was now inner because this was something like you, are you going to follow the doctor's orders? No. I'm not going to follow the doctor's orders because I don't believe that they're justified. And an inner expectation would be like, um, I'm going to uh, learn how to play the cello. I'm going to just teach myself in my free time how to play the cello. I'm going to practice the cello on my own. No one's checking on me. No one cares. Um, no one's watching over my shoulder. That's an inner expectation. But like the meeting the doctor's orders, 
and you didn't turn it into an inner expectation. If you had turned it into an inner expectation, then as a, if you are a questioner, then you would have been able to follow it. But it failed that test for you. And in terms of just how we're habituated as humans, how flexible do you think we are? Like when it comes to say something like a morning person versus mm. a night person, mm. can you change that? Mm. by, you know no, what well, I mean? Like, Yeah, no, um, actually, there's a lot of research around this. And there really are morning people and night people. And uh, as a morning person, I used to think that everybody could be a morning person if they would just go to bed on time and wake up early. But it's not. It's, it's largely genetically determined. And it's also a function of age. And that's one of the things that I argue in Better Than Before. A lot of times, we're sort of handed these one-size-fits-all solutions. Like, if something's important to you, you should get up and do it first thing in the morning. No, not if you're a night person, because night people, and this is a real class of people, night people are at their most productive, their most creative, their most energetic much later in the day. For them to do something first thing in the day is probably one of the worst times for them to do it. So they don't want to like get up and work on their novel or have an important staff meeting or try to go for a run first thing in the morning, because they can probably barely get to work or school on time because they're night people. And this is a real thing. And what I argue is that instead of trying to say, well, you should be able to do this and trying to change yourself, you should try to change your circumstances. So if you're trying to exercise, don't try to go running at 7 a.m. Say, okay, I'm going to go to the gym at my lunch hour or maybe like during the 3 3 p.m. lull when everybody else is kind of sitting groggily at their desk and checking Facebook. That's when I'm going to go to the gym. Or I'm going to run on the treadmill when I get home at 7 p.m. Whatever works for you. And so I think it's easier to say, well, what kind of person am I and how can I change my circumstances to suit me rather than feeling like, well, we constantly have to be changing ourselves to fit someone else's uh, idea of what good habits should look like. Because, you know, it's very easy to assume that because something works for you, it should work for everybody. And I fall into this trap. In The Happiness Project, I write a ton, and Happier Time, I write a ton about getting rid of things, simplifying things you know, clearing things off. Um, now, and one of the things I realize now is I'm a simplicity lover. And so I really thrive on simplicity and, you know, bare surfaces and clean shelves and that kind of thing. But some people are abundance lovers and they really thrive when there's a lot of choice and profusion and buzz and collections and a lot going on. And it's not that I'm right and they're wrong or that they're right and I'm wrong or that one way is the best way to be creative or productive or whatever. It's just that some people do better in some environments and some people do better in another. But you get into a problem if you have a boss who's someone like me who walks around saying things like a cluttered desk means a cluttered mind and trying to get everybody to clear up their desk. It's like, well, maybe that works for you, boss, but it might not work for everybody who works for you. And so we really have to respect what's true about us if we want to like get the best out of ourselves. I think that's where, you know, these types of surveys and tests and just learning about oneself and having some self-awareness really come in handy. Yes. And not only knowing yes. about yourself, but like in our business, we make everyone take strengths finders. And mm. I mean, I, I'm kind of embarrassed to say this, but I've also like politely requested people I've dated to take it, to take Hi. that test. Because yeah. it's like, I want to get along. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm yeah. a peacenik, dude. I, I just don't like conflict, you know? So I think that it's so crucial to to know about yourself, but also in knowing about yourself is to learn the other types to yes. don't be, you know, don't yes. be so sort yes. of self-absorbed that, oh, I just yes. want to know about me. It's like, hey, what is my wife or husband yeah. like? What are my kids like? Like, what's yeah. my granny like? What type are they? And that's been so useful to just be able to love other people unconditionally and accept them and an opportunity to practice patience, right? Because you find out, oh, I'm, you know, I'm married to a... um 
you know, an upholder, what does that mean? And then right. when they act a way that's different than the way you act, you can uh, actually be more compassionate and flexible with them, right? Well, 100%. And a great example of this is like, look at upholders and rebels and the value of spontaneity. For upholders, frankly, there is very little value in spontaneity. They don't care about spontaneity. They don't want spontaneity. It's not something that's valued to upholders. For rebels, spontaneity is one of their highest values. And so if you've got two people, it's like they can stare at each other befuddled, like what's going on here? And then once you're like, oh, you really value spontaneity and I don't value spontaneity, then that's going to like, that just makes things clear. It's just easier to talk about it then. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. But you're exactly right. It's like by understanding yourself and understanding how other people might be like you or different from you, then you can manage differences more easily because you're not just constantly like trying to impose your own perspective or assume that other people have the same perspective on the world as you. I mean, for me, learning about the four tendencies has dramatically increased my forbearance for other people because I used to just not understand why other people behave the way they did. Um, and now I much more see the roots of that behavior. So it makes sense. And then I can adjust accordingly so that um, so we can get get done what we want to get done. Is your husband a morning or a night person? He's more of a night person than I am. He's not a hardcore night person. But, and again, like when, when you know that it's better because like we have a dog and I get up at six, which is fine with me. And I get, take my dog out first thing in the morning, which my husband would not enjoy doing, but he takes him out the last thing, last walk uh, of the evening, which I don't enjoy doing. Cause that's when I'm, my energy like crashes before my husband says he's sort of like an hour and a half later than I am. So that works out for us because it's sort of like we both can take over a responsibility in a way that makes life easier for the other one. Have you ever found it challenging to be able to, you know, have your lives intersect, you know, just in terms of how many hours are in a day so that you get quality intimate time together? If you're yeah. if you're wanting to go to sleep and wake up at different times? No, we haven't found that to be a challenge. You figured it out? Yeah. <laughs> I just, you know, I'm asking, I remember uh, dating someone who was like an extreme morning person, like mm. nine, 10 at night. She's like winding down. I'm like winding down. I'm just like hitting my flow state at 11 PM, you know? Yeah. And I got in the habit and this one, I tried to become a morning person because she would want to get up every day at six yeah. and go and go work out at seven. I was like, oh, this is awesome. You know, finally someone mm. to hold me accountable. And if I promise I'm going to go with her, I'll go with her. I don't care how much sleep I got. I'm not going to bail out, especially because my ego won't let me look like a wuss you know what I mean and be like oh, I'm too tired you know, I'm gonna like be outdone by my girlfriend just male programming at its best but uh I did it while we were together and then the moment we weren't together I was like yep done with that <laughs> you know yeah it's very hard to go against your grain over the long term yeah what's weird too is I noticed is even like if I wake up at six in the morning and do go work out or do whatever, I'm still not ready to face the yeah. day and like interact with people until 11 or 12. So it doesn't even, yeah. I could get up at four in the morning, nine in the morning, 10 in the morning. I'm going to have like a basic start my day um, program. So it's interesting. Well, and also with, um, with night people, it's not, it's, they like can't go to bed earlier. Like they're not, their body clocks aren't shutting down. So it's not like, well, if they went to bed at 10, they could go to sleep. They might not be able to go to sleep. Like they just, their whole, chronotype is just adjusted later. And so, and it's interesting about night people, research suggests that morning people are happier than night people. And the hypothesis is that this is because the world is set up for morning people, school and work and sort of everything gets going earlier. And that's sort of valued, like your girlfriend, like, I'm going to get up and get everything done early. You know, we sort of hold that up as a value. And so night people are more often going against their grain. 
Um, whereas everything is sort of easier for morning people because it's sort of naturally set up that way. And so if you're a night person, I, I really think it's like worth, I've talked to, I mean, I've talked about this a lot in my books and my podcast and my blog and everything. And several night people have said like, oh, after I heard what you said, like I've talked to my boss about, can we have the staff meeting at a different time? Or can I go to, can I, can I, instead of working from this hour to this hour, can I just work like Everything shifted back an hour and a half. Now, obviously, a lot of people don't have that flexibility, but some people do have that flexibility. And if you can organize your life that way, um, it's worth trying because that morning is hard for night people and it's not their fault. Sometimes people act like it's because they're lazy or they're just like too dissolute to go to bed on time, but they really, they're just wired differently. Yeah, you just, thank you, girl. You just spoke of the, <laughs> the trouble of my life. Yeah. It's like my whole life I've been going, what the fuck is wrong with humanity? Uh, like, yeah. why is everyone yeah. so hyper in the morning? Like, yeah. I need time. But, you know, it's crazy, though, because of just, I don't know, health practices and stuff. My circadian rhythm is pretty on point. So no matter what time I go to bed, I'll still wake up at 7, 7.30 wide awake, which sucks. So it's like nature made me a night person, but the planets don't want me to be. Anyway. So let's talk a bit about habits. And I have an interesting question, I think, to propose mm. to you. And that is, where's the dividing line between a habit and an addiction in your mind? You know, in my book, I don't talk about addictions. And of course, the idea of addiction is itself very controversial. Many people argue that there really is no such thing as addiction. Uh, and then other people argue very vociferously that there absolutely is uh, a thing of addiction. And then there's questions of like, can you be addicted to sugar? You know, like, is that an addiction or not? So I never really get into that. So in my book, I specifically say I don't talk about addiction, if addiction there is, or nervous habits or habits of mind. Habits of mind being things like pessimism. People will say, like, I want to be in the habit of being more optimistic. I'm like, I'm not talking about that. I talk about habits within the ordinary scope of human experience. So not addictions, not nervous tics or things like that. Um, and that are concrete behaviors in the world. So it's things like going to the gym, making your bed, turning off your phone, quitting sugar. It's not things like, um, I want to be more optimistic. So I don't really get into the addiction. Though I have to say, I studied a lot of the addiction stuff just because there's a lot of very interesting material there about habits. And there's a lot of pointers that people who are trying to just do normal habit change can get from people who work with people who are addicted to something or, you know. Yeah. Addicted yeah. In, in quotation marks. Yeah. Okay, cool. That's interesting. So I'm thinking about, you know, my subjective experience because I'm always like trying to quit something or start something, like whether it's a negative habit or just something that I want to begin. And it's like my definition of it would be I want to get your opinion on this is like an addiction is something negative that has negative impacts on my life or consequences on my life or the lives of people that I love that I really wholeheartedly want to stop and seem to have no power to stop, right? Whereas a habit is something that where I have no control whatsoever and being uh, someone who had, well, you know, like... that's the question, right? Yeah, but I, is, I mean... Do you I, really not have control? Like yeah. if somebody were standing there saying, I'm going to give you a million dollars if you stay off Candy Crush. Could you stay off Candy <laughs> right, Crush? Right. If you could stay off Candy Crush for a million dollars, then you're in control of that behavior, right? Well, that's so what does so, it mean not to be in control of something? Well, that's me being question. someone who is extremely addicted to what? about every hard drug you could ever mention for the first half of my life from a very mm. early age, um, mm. I absolutely, until it got to the point where it's like the consequences were mm -hmm. so grave that they so obviously and by far outweighed the benefits to my behavior. 
then something sort of snapped. It's like this spiritual surrender sort mm. of phenomenon that takes place, and it's not something linear or something quantifiable. It's like a God thing happens, and mm. just poof, all of a sudden, it's gone. Like, I've been sober for, it'll it'll be 20 years next month, and I was mm. horribly, uh, yeah. yeah, horribly, um, you know, just major substance abuse problems my whole early life. And uh, with each of those things, it's like, it just got to this breaking point and something inside me sort of cracked and I just, it's like, I don't even think I quit it. Whereas like a habit is something I quit. I'm like, all right, I'm deleting um, Tinder off my phone. I'm sick of this shit. It's robbing my attention. It's robbing me of focus. So I'm quitting it and I can just do it and it's no problem. I might pick it back up and then I quit it again. Whereas like those big things that I was label as quantifiable true addictions or something that's like they're either on or off there's no moderating it at mm. all well Whereas that, like like oh. like i know, I know you talk about like mm. you know moderating versus abstaining. just abstaining right yeah. so yeah anyway those are just kind of my thoughts on it because yeah. there's a lot of things like i quit smoking cigarettes i've quit I mean, I'll just say it. I was addicted to heroin. I was addicted to crack, alcohol. I mean, I quit things like that. Like cigarettes are one of the hardest, but right now I'm trying to quit um, looking at like various political feeds on Twitter and I can't stop. And it's like ruining my life, you know, <laughs> through this election and stuff like that. And um, so it's like, well, why, if I can quit smoking cigarettes after smoking for 20 years, why can't I just delete Twitter off my phone? It's like, I can't because... I find that I can control it sometimes, so I never hit a bottom. Like, it never gets to the point where I'm like, oh, my God, you know, I'm going to lose my job, and my wife left me, and the kids are being taken away. It's like, no one knows except me how much Twitter is, like, ruining my morning meditation time or whatever. So, how about this? Why don't you take Twitter off your phone and only use it on your desktop? That's so scary. <laughs> no, no, because no, most, no. most people, like, a lot of people do that with Facebook. Because if they're checking it too much, it's like if they don't want to cut it off altogether, it's like if it's not on your phone, most people use social media things mostly on their phone. I don't know if that's true for you. But if you take it off your phone, you can still access it sometimes. So you're not saying, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ever have it because I want to have it some. But not having it on your phone means that, like, you have to be in a specific place and, like, open it up. And for some people, that is a way to control it. Because it's always better to control it from your environment than trying to use your own willpower, your own self-control. That's very hard. If it's not on your phone, you can't look at it. So then that takes no self-control. You know what I mean? So it's like, get it off your phone. I mean, you could unfollow certain people. I mean, you could still be on Twitter and unfollow certain people. So like, that's also something that you could do. Or yeah. you could have something like, I'm only going to look at Twitter when I'm doing squats or when I'm on the treadmill. So then it's like, okay, well, I can look at Twitter all I want, but I'm going to be doing squats. How, like, how, for how long do I want to be doing squats? But if I'm doing squats for 45 minutes, that's going to be good for me in other ways. Or if I'm on the treadmill, uh, I'll do it on the treadmill. And like, okay, you know, if you want to be on the treadmill for two hours, that's not so bad. You know what I mean? So you could pair it with something. That's the strategy of pairing. You could pair it with something or you could make a, a, a deal like you're married, right? Did you say? No, I'm not. Oh, no, oh, I'm I single. You, yeah. Oh, I current, oh, you were using a hypothetical. You're yes, leaving. current, okay. currently single, hypothetically okay. speaking. Well, yes. you could pair up with somebody else in your life um, that you see, and you're like, well, I can only look at Twitter while you look at Twitter. And so, you know, you have to wait for that other person to be doing it, you know? Uh, and I've heard of people doing things like having somebody change their password so that they know they can come back to it at a certain point because they still have their account. It's all there, but they can't access it for a while because they don't have their password. And then at some certain time, then their friend, their confederate, 
will reveal their password to them so that they can get back on. So there's a lot of ways to manage it if you decide that you want to. A lot of times with things that we feel out of control of, we don't really want to control them. You know, um, so in, in Better Than Before, I talk about the 10 strategies of loopholes. And these are the loopholes that we all use. And there's like a loophole for every occasion. There's like such great loopholes. And this is my favorite chapter of the book because they're so funny. And one of the loopholes is lack of control. So you go into a, the Christmas party and you're like, well, of course I had three cups of eggnog and five cookies because it's who could help it? Like, it's all right there. I, who could resist? Or, um, you know, I'm walking by my favorite bar and a friend of mine is in there and I'm like, hey, let me just go in and say hi to my friend. And, oh, I'm in, a, oh, I'm in my favorite bar hanging out with my friends. How could I not have a drink? You know, it's like, it's saying like, I have lack of control. Um, and so usually we have more control than we think in situations if we really want to figure out how to cabin something. Because you're exactly right. The question is always like, how is, is this making me happier? Because sometimes something's fine or maybe it's fun and then sometimes it tips over into being something like you're saying where it's really not making you happier and you know it's not making you happier and yet for some reason it's hard to um, limit it in a way without using just gigantic amounts of self-control and willpower which is exhausting and you know kind of doomed to failure. Yeah, willpower will wear you out. Oh, yes. Uh, no, some, that's why you want to use habits. Because habits mean no, you don't have to yeah. use willpower, no self-control, no decision-making. That's why habits That's why habits are our friend, because they just automate stuff. So so let's go into a little bit of the abstainer or moderator. Uh, yeah. as, as you may have guessed, and you know, I would definitely be someone who has a, a much easier time just abstaining from something yeah. and just not making it an option. Yeah, yeah. Like you I've, and me I've, both. I've, yeah. I've heard you talk about, you know, um, eating a no carb diet, you know, yeah. and I'm I'm very low carb. Mm. If I just don't buy that stuff, then I don't tend yeah. to eat it. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It's yeah. it's kind of that simple because I know if it's there, that's the, f like right when I come home, that's the first thing I'm going to do is like, where's the carbs? Where's the sugar? Right. So I just don't keep it in the house. Right. Um, with my phone, I recently started doing something because when I wake up, I meditate, I do this whole kind of grounding thing before I interface with the world and the world's a better place for it. Trust me. But what I recently started doing was putting my phone in my microwave mm -hmm. just because like I can't moderate it if I have it with yeah. me and I use the yeah. timer for my meditation instead of reading a you know my new Marianne Williamson a beautiful spiritual book I'm going to go on Twitter yeah. so it's like yeah. I'd rather just abstain from something yeah. it seems to be like the better way of habits for me so what are you and and what how might people be able to find out where where they lean in that um, in that equation. Right. Now, standard moderator is something where people are often a mix because it, okay. this has to do with how do you deal with a strong temptation? And um, because everybody can be a moderator with weak temptation, you know, like I don't really like potato chips, so I could eat five potato chips if I wanted to and not eat anymore because I don't really like it. Uh, that much. Um, but like sweets, oh my gosh, I have the biggest sweets of all time. So abstainers are people for whom with a strong temptation, it's easier to have none. They can have none, but once they start, they tend to go all the way. So like I could have no cookies or I could have seven cookies, but I couldn't have like one cookie. I couldn't have half a dish of ice cream because once I start, I'm going to go all the way. And moderators are people who get kind of panicky and rebellious if they're told they can never have something. And so they do better when they have something a little bit or something sometimes. Um, and these are the people, this it always mystified me, the people who, you know, in their desk drawer at work, they have a bar of fine chocolate and every day or two, you know, whenever they feel like it, they have one square of fine chocolate and that's all they want. And I'm like, that 
that's craziness for me. Like I, I, my whole day would be one square, two squares, three squares. It's my birthday. It's raining. I deserve it. After the day I've had, I, you know, I've earned it. I would eat that whole candy bar now. And the thing is a lot of times abstainers and moderators tell each other that they're doing things wrong. So as an abstainer, I would say to people, well, why don't you just go cold Turkey? You know, and that doesn't work for moderators and moderators will say things to me like, you shouldn't be so rigid or it's not healthy to have these rules. And like, in the end, you're just going to binge or lose control. And I'm like, no, I'm not. It's much easier for me to have none. If I never have it, I don't miss it. But if I have a little bit, then oh, I just want more and more and more. And so, um, and this is food. This is drink. This is also in technology, as we were talking about, like with your phone. A friend of mine said he was like, it absolutely took him an extra year to write his PhD thesis because of World of Warcraft. Um, and my sister, if on our podcast, Half Year with Gretchen Rubin, my sister has talked about her kind of on again, off again, torturous relationship with Candy Crush. She can't play a little Candy Crush. I'm like, she de finally deleted it. And then like after a while, she put it back on. And I'm like, <laughs> you can't play a little Candy Crush. Like we've been down this road before. You've got to delete that app. Um, because she can't play a little bit. and um, But then other people could play a little bit. You know, I don't like games, so I, I don't want to play Candy Crush. And so everybody's got their own temptations and their own kind of abstainer moderator personalities. But like you were saying, the key thing is to know yourself. And once you know yourself, you know, people will say to me something like, well, you should follow the 80-20 rule and eat healthfully 80% and then 20% treat yourself. And I'm like, no, that doesn't work for me because then all my time is spent... Not, am I at 18%? Am I at 19%? Can I get away with 21%? Does this count? Is this this week? Or is that? Ugh, boring, dull, get over it. Just don't have any. It's so much easier. And this is the thing. I mean, I wonder what your experience is, but abstaining sounds harder. But if you're an abstainer, it's actually so much easier. It's like all that buzz is gone. All that noise is gone. Just put it aside. You don't do it. Like now, I mean, I can have sugar carbs anywhere around me. I just don't eat it. It's like it's like uncooked flour. It's like, I don't eat cookies. I don't eat, I, I just don't. And so it doesn't tempt me to have them even sitting right at my elbow. So I just want to say for the record that I, and I, I don't mean to offend anyone, but I want to say to moderators, you guys are freaks of nature. <laughs> I, I totally don't understand that because for me, it is so easy. It's like when I, you know, go out to a party and someone's like, oh, hey, want a glass of wine? I'm like, oh, no, I'm cool. I don't drink. Yeah. And they're like, yeah. oh, my God, never. Whoa. Oh, yeah, and I'm like, yeah. never, like 20 years, never. And they're like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. Is that hard for you? I'm like, what are you talking about? Like, it's not even like it doesn't even cross my mind because I'm not fighting like well I yes. could just have one beer and yes. then well maybe uh, two and uh, you know it's just uh, it's tiresome. not there but I'll tell you something a lot of nutritionists are moderators because they're they have this sort of like healthy relationship with food moderation is held up as kind of the the ideal in our culture and so they feel like that's how everybody should eat and so they will often really push abstainers to be moderators and it just doesn't work. And I've heard from so many abstainers who are like, literally like my nutritionist is yelling at me because I want to give up sugar and they're telling me that I shouldn't. And I'm like, how can you tell? I mean, maybe somebody doesn't have to give up sugar, but if they want to give up sugar, there's certainly no downside to giving up sugar. I mean, but because they're such profound moderators, it's hard, just as we think these people are freaks of nature, they think we're freaks of nature. And so you really have to remember just because something works for you doesn't mean it works for someone else. And if something is working for them, don't tell them, tell them that they should be another way. Just like if you're like, hey, man, like just not drinking works for me. That's easy for me. Like then people should just say like, that's cool. That works for you. Now let's talk about something more interesting, you know, instead of like constantly trying to get in there with people. 
Yeah, that's. I remember when I read Tim Ferriss's book, The Four Hour Body, and mm. he introduced. I don't know if he made it up, but that's the first time I heard of the idea of the cheat day. So mm. it's like you're eating low carb or paleo or vegan or whatever your thing is, and then once a week you just go fucking crazy and yeah. go to Seven Eleven and buy a bunch of yeah. hot dogs I and mean, Twinkies. I'm like, yeah. no, dude, yeah. that cheat day for me would turn into a cheat life. It would just be like, ah, okay, yeah. you know, it's off. I'm a gluten machine now. And then it just also keeps. I don't know about you. I mean, because I don't eat sugar, but it's like when you never have something, you kind of lose your taste for it. And so it does, you don't even think about it. I think having a cheat day once a week would just keep you kind of on the edge of your seat waiting for the next cheat day. I mean, I just, right, for an abstainer, that's just not the right way to go about doing things because it just, it would just be exhausting. Whereas just well, never having it, it's like, okay, fine. Like, who cares? Like, how big a deal is a brownie? I know people say that to me. They're like, how can you not have a brownie? And I'm like, who? it's just not that big a deal. It's not that much fun. To have. I have way more fun not eating a brownie than I ever had eating a brownie. That's just the truth of it. As an abstainer, I just, it's so much easier and more fun to give it up than to fuss with it, I think. Would you explain uh, decision fatigue? You know, what what yeah. happened to me, which isn't the end result of like, if you are inherently an abstainer and you try to be a moderator, <laughs> yes. isn't that the net result of yeah. that? Yes, 100%. So yeah, decision fatigue is sort of at the heart of why, I'm so glad you raised it, because it's at the heart of why habits can be helpful. So decision fatigue is a natural phenomenon where we just get tired as we make decisions. Every decision that you make takes something out of you, even something like, can I hit the snooze alarm one more time or do I have to get up? You know, oh, I've hit it twice. Do I have time to hit it a third time? That's going to take something out of you. Every decision that you make is going to take something out of you. And in the end, uh, it wears you down. And that's when you lose your self-command. Your gas tank is dry because you've used all that energy up. And this is, you know, and if you think about it, people get into mischief at night. They don't get into mischief much at 9 a.m. Because at 9 a.m., your reserves are high. You're, you're, you know, you've had breakfast, you're, you've slept for the night, you're up and out, and you have a pretty good self-command. But as the day goes on, you're, you're using up that resource. And so one of the reasons that habits are helpful is that you're not making decisions, so you don't call on that reserve. And so you don't get as much, you don't get decision fatigue as quickly. So like with the snooze alarm, if you just get up when the alarm goes off every time, if that's your habit and you never think about using the snooze alarm, then that doesn't take anything out of you. Just the way, do you brush your teeth every day? Most people do not think like, well, should I brush my teeth today? Because I br I've been brushing my teeth so regularly. I think I deserve a day off or starting tomorrow. I'm going to start brushing my teeth every day. So I think I want, why bother today? Or, Oh, what's one time brushing your teeth? Like it's not going to make any difference to my tartar levels. You know, one time, I mean, there's a million things you can do, but people don't do it. They just brush their teeth and move on. And the more you can automate, you know, are you going to go to the gym? Yes, you are because it's 7am on Monday morning and you always go to that 8am spin class. Are you deciding to go? No, you decided that a long time ago. It's just your habit. That's what you do on Monday. Because the decision, the, the need to make decisions does exhaust us. And so anything that we can do to avoid that is going to allow us to avoid the decision fatigue that really is the groundwork for getting up to mischief. Yeah, I think that's so true. I remember when I first started eating essentially uh, a ketogenic diet and I was working in my company and we had five or six people in the office. And it started because I was just, I got, a, I discovered Bulletproof Coffee. And I, mm. I think I was like, probably not eating a lot of fat in my life. I didn't know mm. that it was good for you yet. Mm -hmm. And yeah. so, you know, I, I had a health, I mean, I'm super health conscious person, always have been from vegetarian to everything I've tried. 
But when I started doing that, all of a sudden I would have energy and mm. I wouldn't be hungry because I'm on like this brain octane oil and the grass fed butter. And I started to see how like exhausting it was listening to everyone in the office going <laughs> like, what are we going to eat? Where do you guys want to yeah. order from? No, we yeah. did that yesterday. It's yeah. like, I yeah. don't know who's calling, uh, who's going to pick it up. I was just like, yeah. oh my God, why don't you guys yeah. just get on a fat diet? <laughs> You're driving yeah. me crazy. Yeah. It was like so much time and energy spent and yeah. so much decision fatigue. Like everyone's yeah. exhausted by the time lunch Gosh. gets there from just trying to figure it out. Like I've had to really work to get myself into the habit of exercise. And I remember, you know, back before I'd sort of figured all this out, you know, I could spend the whole day. Should I exercise? Yes. Now, later, there's a better time. If I go later, I'll have more energy. Oh, maybe I should do this. Maybe. You, I could like feel completely exhausted and never even go to the gym. Like it never even got done. I just wore myself out thinking about it. Whereas if you just go, it's like, okay, fine. It's already over by the time, you know. And yeah, you're exactly right. It's easy to overlook how draining the decisions can be if you're sort of in the middle of it you you forget that you know there's another way you don't have to belabor these things sometimes and also the 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 collective consciousness of being in a group of people whether that be your family or coworkers it's like if everyone is in that like not having habits built in mode and mm. you are one with habits, yeah. there's oftentimes like a conflict yes. between the two. Yes. And uh, that's something that, that I've noticed too, because I'm someone who I try to become as habituated as possible, not only like, yeah. you know, obviously breaking negative habits, but building in just as much automation into my day yeah. as I can. And when other people don't do that, it's like, I'm like always like, when are you guys going to catch up? You know, it's yeah. like, come on, this yeah. is such a waste of time. You, sh you just automate all this stuff and like you can spend your energy being creative or being of service in the world or doing something meaningful instead of like trying to figure out which pair of shoes to wear in the morning. Yeah. You know, it's like yeah. the Steve yeah. Jobs thing of, you know, yeah. not deciding on the outfit. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that um, of the 21 strategies that I talk about, one of the most important strategies, and it really should be its own book, is the strategy of other people, which is how are other people affecting our habits and how are we affecting other people's habits? Because you're exactly right. Like we are constantly sharing information back and forth. And there's all kinds of research. Like, let's say you're in a married couple. There's something called um, health convergence where like the, the two members of the couple will tend to kind of converge in health in terms of like how often do they go to the doctor? How much do they drink? Are they smoking? Those, if one person gets diabetes, the other person's much more likely to get diabetes. If one person quits drinking, the other person's more likely to quit drinking. And so there's, and, and, but, and you see that in an office. And I think you're right. Like, I don't know about you if you've experienced this, but sometimes I feel like it's, um, it's a little bit draining because I think other people, when they see that you're good at sticking to your own healthy habits, which I am as an upholder and it sounds like you are as a questioner, they kind of want to glom onto it and, and kind of piggyback on that energy. And that can be very tiring <laughs> because you're like, I don't want to constantly be shepherding everybody around. I want you all to just like be in charge of your own thing. And yet it's hard because everybody's affecting everybody else. And so you really have to just take that into, you know, whenever you're trying to change your own habits, you have to think like, well, how's this going to dovetail with what other people are going to do? And sometimes people are helpful. Some people are neutral. They don't care what you do. And then sometimes they're actively, um, Saboteurs. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I mean, either because yeah. they feel guilty because you're doing something that they think they should do, but they don't want to, or they feel like you're judging them because you're doing something in a different way from the way they're doing it, or they're inconvenienced because like now you're like, oh, I'm sorry, during my lunch hour, you guys can go off and make your plans, but count me out because I'm bringing my own healthy lunch from home. And so then it's like, it's not so easy because you were the one who always drove to the restaurant or whatever, or like, I don't want to have to get up and look at the kids so that you can go to your yoga class or, you know, whatever it is. It's sometimes people don't want to, they don't want to, um, 
cooperate with whatever your habit would be. Or, you know, I don't like the fact that you're not keeping sugar in the house anymore because I like to have ice cream in the freezer and you don't want to have it in the freezer anymore. So then you have to figure out a way like, okay, well, one person wants ice cream. One person doesn't want ice cream. Neither person's right and neither person's wrong. How can we set this up so that both people feel like they've got what they want? And often when you will explicitly talk about it, there are ways to accommodate both people. But a lot of times we don't really kind of take it that far and we just sort of like mildly get on each other's nerves. Um, so I think part of it is really to recognize like, well, what is my ideal situation? What's your ideal situation? And how can we, how can we figure out a middle ground? Yeah, that's really good advice. I, I love all this stuff because as we keep kind of pointing to, it really minimizes conflict and yes. helps us just yes. in all of our relationships to yes. be more cooperative. You yes. know, it's like, I'm just obsessed with learning about people like I know you are, obviously. And it's like, I want everyone else to do that. But what I find is that piggybacking thing happens a lot. And yeah. it's the position that I've put myself in. And I'm sure you have to a degree is like, well, if I have a podcast, and I'm sure I'll write a book, hopefully, and I'm putting like, you know, the lifestyle that I've built out there and everything that I find, then people come to depend on your advice. Well, what should I do about this? And what should I do about that? And I get all these questions and answers and stuff like that. And I'm going like, why don't you go learn about yourself? You know, it's like, I'm figuring myself out so that I can accommodate you, whoever you are in the world, um, more easily. But I think all of us kind of have, you know, a, a responsibility to a degree to figure out what makes us tick and how we can integrate into our culture and our community in a way that's harmonious, right? Right. And, and the fact is that no one else has the answer for you. There is no mentor. There's no guru who can tell you what's true about you because you're the only one who knows. Like you really have to think about, well, what's true for me? What kind of person am I? One really helpful question is to say, well, was there a time in the past when I was successful? So like maybe you're not making any progress on your novel right now, or you want to be practicing guitar, but you're not doing it. But you might say to yourself, well, looking back on my life, was there a time when I was practicing guitar? And you might be like, well, in, in college, I practiced guitar all the time. Well, what was different then? Was it that you had more leisure time? Was it that you had a friend who would like also was really into playing? And so that made it more fun. Was it that you had like a, like a beautiful room that you really enjoyed sitting in? And now you're like trying to do it in this like dark corner of your apartment and that's not inviting. Like there's a bunch of things, but you're exactly right. It's like each of us has to decide for ourselves because it's so individual. It's, it's your own interests, your own values, your temperament, your history, what you want, what your temptations are, what you're struggling against um it's we all just we're the we're the only one who knows really and so um i think like people like you and me we try to present questions and information to help get people thinking and focusing on different aspects of themselves and their personality but in the end like you can't send somebody an email question and get an answer back you know you gotta because it's we're all different you know it's we're all really yeah. different yeah, I think also something that's crucial about the idea of building habits, because, you know, I've been into just health and wellness and all this stuff for so many years and meditation and everything that kind of improves your life. It's just, I'm obsessed with achieving, you know, fulfillment and evolving. And people that are sort of just getting into that and they just discovered green juice or a paleo diet or a low carb or, you know, some exercise regime or a meditation or whatever, they look at like what I'm doing and they're like, God, but isn't it like such a pain in the ass to like, how do you remember to do all that stuff every day? And 
I think what's been so important for me to communicate to people is that the positive habits have been built in incrementally, just little by little by little. And Mm -hmm. I love the example that you gave of brushing your teeth. Like, no one bitches about having that habit. It's just what you do. Mm -hmm. So if I get up and meditate for 20 minutes, read my spiritual books, take an infrared sauna, go have an ice bath, work out, you know, and then like zero inbox my emails, then start my day, everyone's like, God, isn't that exhausting? How do you have all those habits? But that might have taken four years to develop, you know what I mean, where mm-hmm. those just became an automatic protocol. So do you find that building positive habits into your life is easier when you take them one little step at a time rather than mm. trying to change everything at once and become superhuman? Well, I think that's a distinction, too. I think there are people who like to make incremental change, and they feel like little by little they make time in their schedule and they build up accomplishments. But then some people get bored like that. They don't, they're don't. they not interested in incremental change. They want big, radical change. They're like... They're not going to exercise for, you know, go for a 20-minute walk today and a 25-minute walk tomorrow. They're going to train for the marathon or they're out. And again, I th- there's no right way or wrong way. Your way works really, really well for you. And another person might be more interested in like, I'm just going to transform my whole life. And both can work. It's a matter of fit. And it's a matter of figuring out what's, what's right for you. And the problem comes is when somebody's like, well, this is the way you should do it. It's like, there's no should do it. It's whatever works for you. And I'll also say, like, I think the tendencies come into play because the kind of habits that you're describing, like a rebel probably would not set up their life that way. They wouldn't want to, but if they wanted to, it would be tricky for them. They'd have to figure out a way to work with their rebel tendency. And for obligers, obligers need outer accountability. If they're going to meet inner expectations, they need outer accountability. So as a questioner, you don't need outer accountability. You have your own inner accountability. But for an obliger, they're going to have to have an accountability group for everybody checking in about whether they're meditating regularly, or maybe they need to have a writing group where everybody talks about how much writing they've done, or maybe they think need to think about their duty to be a role model of, of exercise for other members of their family or for their neighborhood. Like, I'm going to be a model of good health, and you're going to see me. I'm going to say that I'm going to exercise consistently, and you're going to see me be a good role model of someone who can follow through. Or I'm going to take my dog, because my dog is going to pee all over my house if I don't take her for a walk. Um, that's the kind of outer accountability. And um, and so, again, it's like, it's so individual. There isn't, there's not like, okay, and here's the secret. It's like, Mm, that's a secret for some people. It's not that's, like yeah, almost that's true. nothing is the secret for everybody. That's so true. Yeah, because I'm thinking about people that have come to me for advice or people that I've worked with in coaching. And I'm like, well, we can just take this slow. Like, it's cool. Don't freak out. Don't be too controlling. Live your life. Have fun. And they're like, no, I'm all in, man. Let's yeah. do this. Tell me yeah. every single thing to do and I'll do it tomorrow. I, I kind of yeah. forget about those people because it's been very piecemeal for me. But that's a key distinction. The last thing I wanted to cover very briefly, if we can, was... A uh, concept you've talked about, and I might not even have the wording exactly right, but openers and closers, mm, just yeah. like our starters and finishers. I yeah. think it's a distinction that you've made about people and, you know, through self-observation. I start, I have right now probably 14 books that I'm working mm, on. So you're an I'll, opener. I'll never finish any of them. I'm, mm-hmm. I come up with great ideas creatively. I'm going to do this for the podcast. I'm going to write this book, do this. And and then it's like, if someone else doesn't finish it, most time it's not going to get finished mm. unless I'm held accountable by a business partner or something mm-hmm. for a project that's in my bucket. And they're like, dude, this needs to be done by this date or this thing's going to fall apart. Then mm. and only then will I finish. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what's what's your distinction on the on the two types predominantly there? Of course, there are, you know, exceptions. Yeah. Well, so as you say, you gave a great uh, a great example of openers. So openers love to open. They love to start things. They're interested in new ideas. Like they get very excited with the idea of of starting. Um, just as in your example, and often they're not interested in, in in finishing. Like they they 
that's not exciting to them. Um, and then finishers are people who are very focused on the finishing. They get enormous satisfaction of sort of crossing thing off the to-do list or handing something in or being done with something. And the thing about finishers is it can be great because they really, they take things through to completion. They sometimes are too conservative about starting something because they're very worried about finishing. So they might not take a risk because they're like, well, I can see I can, I, I can see I would start this, but I'm not sure I can finish it. I'm not sure I can carry it over the end line, and so I'm gonna I'm not gonna do it. So a lot of times it's really helpful to have finishers and openers and finishers together because they can kind of um, they both are focused on like different elements of a process. Um, and you definitely like you knowing that you're an opener. It's definitely something that you want to be aware of your tendency because or like you know which which category you you um, are drawn to because like for you you might say to yourself, okay, I really want to get these books out in the world. And so I'm going to set it up so that I'm going to have a client or I'm going to have a contract or I'm going to have somebody who's, who's really going to be calling for this. Or I've heard of somebody who ha- wanted to write an ebook and kept putting it off. And so they, they did a thing on their podcast where they were like, okay, the first 25 people who call are going to get a free ebook. Well, then he, then these people were waiting for the ebook. He had to do it because he had to keep his promise. Like he'd promised the ebook. So he did that specifically to force himself to complete it. And then finishers need to remember, like, you can't finish something if you don't start it, you know, and that and and to really push themselves and to remember, you know, maybe sometimes you're not going to finish or maybe something's not going to work out. Or sometimes finishers can often like kind of rush at the end because they're so excited about the prospect of getting something done. They're like, whatever, it's fine. They need to focus on like, okay, I want to keep my product at its best all the way through, even if that means delaying the fun of, you know, hitting send or whatever it is. Uh, for a couple weeks or so, so that I can make sure that everything's really the way that I want. So both ways have much to recommend them. And it's also good to know so that you can buttress the weakness of that. Very well said. Thank you. And I'm so grateful that my business partner, Lauren Messiah, <laughs> is absolutely a finisher. You Excellent. Know? So you're a good team. Yeah, really good team. And if yeah. I think because, you know, building again, these type of, you know, the self-awareness and awareness with the people that you interact with is like, cool. She knows I'm going to start a bunch of crazy ideas. I'm never going to finish it. It annoys her. And then we we work it out. And I know if she says she's going to do something like I absolutely never have to think about it ever again. Mm-hmm. Once she right. says I'm doing this right. or doing that, I'm like, oh, it's right. finished. Right. And I can I can picture her like, I'm sure she'll listen to this. Lauren, you're sitting there like, it's like it's like a drug to her to cross things off her to do yes. list. <laughs> you know, it's like she for like me. An upholder. When I cross things off my to do list, I'm like, man, I'd rather think of a new idea that yeah. I'm not going to finish. I don't really don't right. care if something's no. done. You know, it's right. crazy. So See, thank it's you. So interesting. <clears throat> yeah, it's fun stuff. It's fun stuff. Well, I want to I want to thank you so much for joining oh, us today. Yeah, and so uh, fun. I feel like really, we can talk all day long. We're interested in so many of the same things. Yeah, really, really good information that you share. I love what you're putting out in the world. So you've taught us tons here today. And my closing question, I'd like to ask you. Who are three teachers or teachings that you might recommend that have been influential on you that we could check out? Well, my spiritual master is St. Therese of Lisieux, um, and uh, and Story of a Soul is her spiritual memoir, which is like a book I've read like 15 times. I will say it's not for everyone. Um, it's pretty. It's a pretty specific kind of book, but I love St. Therese. I have to recommend her. Um, another is Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin is a patron saint of everyone who's interested in self-improvement because he, was, he had charts, and I mean, who was ever more uh, productive and creative than Benjamin Franklin? So he's a great guy and then another person that i would say who would i say is my third um 
you know, I will throw something a little bit unconventional out there, and I will say Julia Child, because I think Julia Child is a wonderful model of someone who just was so carried away with her love of her subject that she pulled the whole world after her, you know? She was so, and she was a full grown-up, you know, this was not, this was not an early passion. She came to her love of French cooking, and she spent so much time learning about it, and she had such intensity and such eagerness to share it with the world that she just enchanted everyone. And so um, I offer up Julie. And I don't cook at all. I mean, if I make scrambled eggs, that's as far as it goes. Um, but even I love Julia Child because of just her, just of her, her enthusiasm. And it's just a great example of what enthusiasm can do. Excellent. Thank you so much. Very true. And Benjamin Franklin was almost more surprising to me. Now I'm like, I don't really know anything about him. Ooh, I'm going to have to check this out. Read his autobiography. Yeah. Oh okay, my gosh. Cool. It's so great. Oh my gosh. And poor Richard's Almanac. Fantastic. Awesome. Yeah, okay, You will cool. love it. Thank you for the tips. And in closing, where can we find you? What are your mm. new projects? What are you excited mm. about? URLs, all that stuff. Lay it yeah. on us. Well, my website um, where I post almost every day about my adventures and happiness and good habits is GretchenRubin.com. Um, I also have a bunch of resources there, all different kinds of things. I have a podcast called Happier with Gretchen Rubin, which won awards. It's very popular. Um, and I do it with my sister, Elizabeth Kraft. She's a TV writer in Hollywood and very different from me. So we talk about um, happiness and good habits. And um, my book that just came out that we mostly, we talked a little bit about the happiness project, but mostly about habit change. And that's the book Better Than Before, which is about the 21 strategies of habit change. Um, and the book that I'm working on now that'll be out in September is called The Four Tendencies which is really a very deep focus on the upholder, questioner, obliger, rebel framework that we were talking about. And if somebody wants to take that quiz, again, it's happiercast.com slash quiz. Um, and I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and Pinterest and everywhere under my name, Gretchen Rubin. And um, yeah, and I love to engage with readers and listeners about happiness and good habits. So I love to hear from folks. Oh, great. Thank you so much. You are a very a prolific creator. <laughs> like, like the amount of stuff you have out is crazy. It's staggering. And your podcast is great, too. I want to recommend to our listeners to definitely oh, check you. it out. Yeah, it's super oh, yeah. fun. You have, you have a great rapport and a really nice banter with your sister. And it's yeah. it's informative, but it's also fun. So it's great. Oh, good. I lo- yeah, I love- we have fun. I love that y'all are doing that. It reminds me, I got to have my my younger brother Cody as a guest on my show. Oh, He's yeah. a fit, fitness expert. I'm like, uh, yeah, we could probably yeah, do something yeah. like that regularly too. So yeah. thank you so much again thank for you. joining us today. Really great to get to know you and your message. And uh, I'll look forward to speaking with you again. Yeah, absolutely. It was so much fun to talk to you. Wow, knowledge bombs being dropped left and right. Boom, taking hits over here from Gretchen Rubin. Thanks so much for joining me on another episode and learning with me about human nature and what makes us tick. So now we know a little bit more about how to achieve a happy, fulfilling life based on our habits and identifying our personality type. And speaking of habits... I'd love for you to get into a really positive habit right now. Now, this one habit, the secret I'm going to give you, I saved till the end of the show because it's so valuable. I didn't want to give it away to people that only made it like a quarter or halfway through the interview. It's super chronic, all right? You ready for this top secret number one habit of high performance human beings? Here it goes. 
it is to leave a goddamn review and ratings in iTunes for the Lifestylist podcast. If you know how to do it, just hop in there and do it right now. Like, stop this recording, stop this thing on your phone, your computer, whatever. Go into iTunes, find the Lifestylist podcast, and leave a rating or review or a comment or a question, okay? If you don't know how to do that, just go to lukestory.com forward slash how to iTunes review. Super easy. This means so much to me. And as I said in the beginning, it helps the show more than you could ever possibly understand unless you happen to be a fellow podcaster. And this request, this habit that you only really have to do once, so it's a one-time habit, it will take you approximately three to four minutes, five minutes tops, but it will do so much to benefit me and future listeners of this podcast. Thank you so much for joining me. And thank you so much if you have the opportunity to leave me a review. And if that's too much to ask, you know what, babe, it's all good. Just keep listening and perhaps share this episode or future episodes with a friend. Thanks so much. Thanks so much.